Good morning, Arbor Church. Good to see you this morning. Thank you for being here. Um, we got a few people in here today. It's good to have you all live again. For those online, welcome with us as well. Today ends our series of Letters to a Young Church. I have really enjoyed this series. I think it's something that we could come back to and dip back into again and continue doing some other books because there's nothing better than reading through the letters of Paul to the churches to see how they relate to us today. So today we come to the end of Galatians. We're in Galatians chapter 6. And our theme throughout this whole letters to a young church has been the truths of then are truths for today. The truths of then are the truths for today. And once again, we're going to hit on some key truths in chapter 6 as Paul wraps up this critical letter to the Galatians. And what resonates the most with me out of chapter 6 that I want us to walk away from here is this, is that what matters is God's new creation. What matters is God's new creation and how we live in that new creation to honor and glorify him. All right? Galatians 5 wrapped up with a focus on what it means to be led by God's spirit. Brian spoke on that last week. Galatians 6 starts with describing how spirit-led Christians should serve one another in the spirit, all right? Especially those that have been caught in a sin. Especially carrying each other's one another's burdens. Especially being responsible for our own spiritual loads. And finally, all right, recognizing that only those who plant or sow in the spirit of God will reap an eternal harvest, Paul concludes the letter by actually taking the pencil or pen and writing in his own large letters because of his vision at the time in his life that says the circumcision of today, which is what's the matter going on in this letter, does not matter. Only being made a new creation through the cross is what matters. And I hope that's what resonates us with today. Galatians 5.13 from last week serves as a bridge between chapter 5 and chapter 6 where it said, do not use your freedom for your flesh. And we're going to delve into that a little bit today. But through love, serve one another, which is the greatest commandment. And this idea of serving one another, we're going to look at a few layers of that that Paul lets us look into. Galatians 6 teaches how Christians, God's new creation, who live in God's spirit should use his power to treat each other. And reminds us that only the cross of Jesus can free us from the burden of law and the power of sin at the same time. Only that. So we're going to learn three truths from this passage today. We're going to learn how to restore each other gently in humility. We're going to learn how to reap what you sow, continue to do good. And we're going to conclude with remember the cross because it's all that matters. Let's pray. God, I pray that you move me out of the way. I thank you for Cliff's words today in prayer, Lord. But I pray that you give us ears that want to hear, hearts that want to listen, and feet that want to put into action what you tell us today. Not what I'm saying today, but what you tell us today. In your name, amen. I grew up with two brothers. In fact, today is my littlest brother, JJ's birthday. Um, I don't know if you grew up with brothers. I'm the oldest of the brothers, the smallest of the brothers, but the oldest. So I hold that over them every day, all right? And while they both could probably take me down now, they'd have to catch me first. They're, they're old, fat, and slow. No, that's not true. And if they're listening, I'm in trouble now, all right? But I grew up with brothers. 
And there was this, there's this dynamic between brothers that there's this love-hate relationship. I don't know if you understand that. I mean, we could fight like dogs. And sometimes we would start fights with each other just to test each other's strength. All right? But I'm telling you what, if something happened in the neighborhood to one of us brothers, the three of us would go knocking on the door saying, uh, you got a problem with uh, JJ? You got a problem with Mark? In fact, one time, JJ was being bugged. He probably not even remember this story because he was so little. And we moved into this new neighborhood and there's some kid that kept trying to take his bike or knock him off his bike. So me and my brother Mark just paid a friendly visit to the neighborhood. All right. Mom did not approve when we came home with the little scrape ups and dust ups, but dad kind of gave us that wink, nod, don't ever do that again, kids. You know, good job, way to go. You know, but the idea of this brotherhood that you watch out for one another, you've got each other's backs. And that doesn't mean that everything's perfectly balanced between you all the time. It doesn't mean that there's not some just bitter rivalries and disagreements. It doesn't mean that you see things the same way all the time. It doesn't mean you all have the same talents, but in the end, you have each other. And the reason you have each other is because your family, your blood, blood's thicker than mud. And what Paul wants us to see in Galatians 6, and through the book of Galatians, is this. We're a family in Christ now. Before we, were, before we were divided socially, before we were divided racially, before we were divided by gender, and in that culture and time, there were clear divisions, and Paul is saying none of that matters now because under the banner of the cross and the new creation, we are all new creatures in Christ, and we need to serve one another in love. He goes, none of that matters in God's eyes. And that was a radical paradigm. I know for us today, where we try to have equality for everybody, which is what we should do, and we talk about it all the time, in this day and age, it was not. This was a new paradigm for the Jews and the Gentiles and the Samaritans and for men and women. It was all brand new. And today, it needs to resonate with us as well. So let's jump into this a little bit. And let's start... With the, I'm going to take the chapter and put it into three sections. And then under each section, I might divide it up a little bit into some smaller parts. But we're going to go through this in three big chunks today with our three truths and dig in a little bit more on each one of those sections. So let's start with Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the world should share all good things with their instructor. A little caveat, we're not going to dig into verse 6 real well, but basically that just says, whoever's teaching you things in the scripture, make sure you grant them some gratitude and appreciation. Not to me, to people in your lives, all right? So here's our first point for today, our first truth. Restore each other gently and in humility. Restore each other gently and in humility. I'm going to apologize already going into this. I'm probably going to rely on my notes more than anything. And it's more out of, this is very personal to me right now in my life. 
And so when things are personal, I want to be confident that I'm saying things that came to my heart when I wrote this. But I want to look back at verses 1 and 2 again. Verses 1 and 2 said, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ again? Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Let's look at this idea of restoration. Paul's wording here, all right, is not of this determined and hardened sinner. The phrasing is caught in a sin. Instead, the idea of someone that has fallen into temptation, they're responsible for their decision. It was their choice. He's not talking about a person you've confronted time and time and time again and rejects your confrontation, rejects the truth, and continues to live in sin. Paul talks about that in Corinthians when he tells them to remove the person from the body of Christ and have nothing to do with them anymore because they continue to live in the sin. And they would not respond. And there's a time that Paul says, you be done and you leave them to me, to God. And God says, I will manage them. There's a time when someone falls into temptation, creates a problem for themselves, for others, and may be harmful. It doesn't mean the impact isn't there. It doesn't mean it's wrong. It doesn't mean they shouldn't repent and they're not responsible. It's someone that is caught in a sin. Some translations say overtaken. Maybe they've created patterns and behaviors in their lives and they quit quit putting up guardrails on themselves and they got arrogant, they got prideful, all right? They started some behaviors and they fell into something that they never thought they would. Or they stepped into something willingly, knowing it was wrong, and now they need to come back out of it. Either way, the idea is it's not been an ongoing pattern where there comes a point where you have to say, I can do no longer. I've had to do both in my life as a youth pastor, as a teacher, as a parent. I've had plenty of kids in my ministry that I would go be looking for. I'm not going to share any names. There was a young man that I'm not exaggerating. I probably had to go find on the streets at least 25 times between 1 in the morning and 5 in the morning with his mom in the car crying. I sat in court with this kid at least six times. And finally there was a point where I had to look at the mom and I had to say, you gotta let him make his decisions. He's gotta reach the bottom of the barrel on his own. Because the more we intervene, the more we stand in the way of what God needs to do in his life. And that is a very difficult thing to know how to measure and know when to do that because it must be led by the Spirit. And I'll never forget the day when this child sat in court, and I call him a child, because while he was 19 finally, he looked at the judge and he said, if you don't send me to jail, I will die by the end of the week. Now, I don't mean to start so heavy, but what I'm saying to you is this. If we don't allow, all right, the person to come to a point where they realize they need to repent, they need to get the help, restoration is difficult. And so there is a time when someone's own sin has to be dealt with on their own, and we're going to look like that in a moment. But right now, when Paul says carry each other's burdens, when someone's caught in sin, we're talking about someone that recognizes I have messed up. And there's shame, there's 
embarrassment, there's whatever, and it's difficult to come out of that, and they don't know what to do, that's when we come alongside and say, let's restore. But how do we do that? We do it through the, through the Spirit. I want to highlight there's a difference here between reconcile and restore. Reconcile this, is this idea of rebuilding relationship. It's the idea of bringing harmony back to something. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about restore. It's like a, to reestablish or bring back into existence. The overtaken one needs to be restored. They don't need to be ignored. They don't need to be excused. They don't need to be ridiculed. And they don't need to be destroyed and hurt more. Um, the theologian John Stott talked about this as an action verb. It's like to restore to a former condition. The Greeks used the word restore in a medical sense of like, resetting a fracture or dislocated shoulder. The, the Peter and, I mean, Paul, Peter and John and James, when Jesus found them, they were mending their nets, restoring their nets to be useful again. And the idea of restoring is helping someone back on the path of Christ as a new creature in Christ to be useful in Christ again. Not useful to me, not to restore anything for my benefit. And that's where we get hung up so often. We can't get past our own personal injury and hurt by what the person did to try to restore them to who they need to be. This is not an easy thing that Paul is asking because we get in the way of ourselves legitimately and for good reasons especially if we're the ones that have had harm done to us. Man, when Paul says pray for your enemies, don't think of it as someone that's trying to harm you all the time. Think of it as someone that's caused you the biggest hurt in your life and your prayer finding can get to the point of if they never come back to me, may they come back to you. This is not wired in us naturally. It was not wired in me naturally. But it's because we don't see ourselves as somebody that needs to be restored to God daily. And that's where Paul says, but watch yourself. This idea of gentleness really hit me. One of my mentors in life, when I was going through a really hard time, looked at me and said, Scott, my hope for you is this, that you will continue to learn what it means to be gentle. Gentleness did not come to me easy. I grew up in the old school, you know, I was a football coach, rub some dirt on it, all right, kick the rocks and keep on going. That's how I grew up. But there's nothing, all right, that reveals the wickedness of the legalism that I grew up in more than the way legalists handle someone's misdeeds and sins. And it's not with gentleness. Remember what Paul wrote way back in Thessalonians when we we're going through that? Remember what Allison taught with us and what she said the verse in 1 Thessalonians 2, 7, we were gentle among you like a mother caring for her little children. Gentleness is a strong hand with a soft touch. 
It is a tender, compassionate approach towards others' weaknesses, limitations, and errors. A gentle person still speaks truth, sometimes painful truth, but in doing so, guards their tone so the truth can be well-received. I had a mentor that told me, you win more bees with honey than with vinegar. Gentleness is founded in strength, but prompted by love. It reminds me of when my kids were young, that we would walk around, I'd be holding their hand, and as I'm holding their hand, they'd like to play this game where they'd squeeze my hand really hard, all right? They'd be like, I'm squeezing your hand, I'm squeezing your hand. And they could never really squeeze it hard enough to cause me any discomfort or pain, because they're a little. And every now and then, I'd like squeeze their hand back really quickly and hard, and they'd jump, all right? And they'd be like, oh, all right? And it was just a reminder, all right, that I'm more powerful at that particular time. It is the strong hand, not the weak one, that must learn to be gentle. It is the one that has the ability to restore, not the one that needs restoration, that must be gentle. The idea of gentleness It's a personal disposition in the spirit of God. And I am convinced that I cannot be gentle outside of the spirit of God because I am not wired that way and I don't think we are as either. Some people are more wired towards kindness and tenderness. But when we face the harm or the sin that others have done, gentleness is not the first thing we run to. It is not. So what Paul is asking here in words looks easy, but I'm telling you, it's difficult but we're called to do it. Even when we don't want to. And I'm guilty of not being gentle at times. And I've had to ask people, I'm sorry if I'm being too harsh. The next thing he tells us is we need to do this in humility. Look at verses three through five. If anyone thinks there is something when they are not, I love that phrase, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. They can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else for each one should carry their own load. I love that phrase, think something we are not. This reminds me of what I call me and three cowboys. Um, I I was not always the great, wonderful, great guy that you see standing up here today. (laughs) That's funny. I was an angst, angry-ridden, hot-tempered young man that thought I could just manage everything by just brute strength. And I wasn't very strong, but I was quick and I was fast. And so I don't tell this story with any pride, but it's a good lesson. I was driving home one night after hanging out with some family friends, and I was living in, my parents, my family had just moved out of Idaho, and I was home in the summer working, and I was actually living in the basement of my best friend's family's house, um, the Lunsfords, I love that family, and I was living with them to finish the summer out, and I was driving home one night, and I was in my tiny little white Chevy Chevette. Anybody even know what that car is? It is a garbage junk car, but it's what I could afford for $500 at the time to get me around time and work, all right? So you would think that a guy in a little white Chevy Chevette would have no ego. No. And running right up behind me 
is a big old F-150 tailgating with her headlights on. And you know I'm, I'm down low, and those headlights hit right in the rear of me, right in your eyes. You can't see anything. And I'm like pumping the brakes to get them off. I'm going as fast as I can down this country road, and they're just riding on me. And I'm like, just go around me, but they're not. They're just being obnoxious. So then I finally get ready to turn into my driveway, and I turn the blinker, and as I go to turn, then they decide to pass me and really run me off the road. Well, any normal human being would just pull in the driveway and go to bed because it's like 1130 at night. Oh, no, not me. I'm going to chase down that big old cowboy truck in my Chevette, and I'm going to teach him a little thing or two because these young teenagers don't know what they're doing. So I just rev up and I get on their tail like that did any good. My lights are shining on their transmission because I'm so low on the ground. <laughs> they pull over. I pull over. I jump out of my Chevette ready to take on whoever this dumb driver is and three cowboys jump out. And in that moment, I realized this statement right here. I think I'm something when I'm not. Well, all I will say is that I woke up on the cement, got back in my car, drove back to the house, had to wake up Shane's dad, Rick, who's my pastor at the time, and say, sir, um, can you take me to the hospital? I just got the crap beat out of me, which was no joke, all right? And 18 stitches later in various places in my face, I was back home. I share that with you because in that moment, something struck me as you got to quit thinking so much of yourself. And here's the thing. When we go into restoration, when we go into trying to help others, don't think that you're something better than you're not. Do not think you're better than the person you're trying to restore. Because but by the grace of God, would you be in the same situation? See, this is where Paul says, you deceive yourselves. We live in this art of self-deception all the time, don't we? Things are going well in our life. We're like, woohoo! I'm the great person. Things are going great. We deceive ourselves at times. Each one should test their own actions. That's like what Brian spoke about last week. Take the speck out of your own eye before you remove the log in somebody else's eye. You need to look at your own motivation, your own actions. Are you stepping in the restoration because God has called you to do this or because you feel like this is my obligation to help this person, to set them right, to show them how they're wrong, to get them on the path of correction? Or have you been called by the Spirit to do this in this person's life? And have you made sure that when you're doing the restoration, you're looking in the mirror every day going, God, continue to use me despite myself. Whatever's in my life, God, that's hindering me being of use for you, God, remove that. Whatever I think I see in this person, may you show me what I need to see in my life. That's taking responsibility for your own actions. And he says, pride alone without comparing themselves to others. This is what Paul hated. This is what the Judaizers were doing. They were walking around saying, you're not as good as I am as a believer because you're not circumcised. You're not eating kosher. You're not following the Sabbath. You're not reading your Bible every day. You don't get up every morning and pray. You don't have a devotional journal. You didn't go to church twice this month. You think it's okay to skip all of July and take your family on a road trip? What do you do? I could pile it on. This is what Paul was saying. How can we live gently and in humility, restoring one another, when all we're doing is comparing? And that is what the Judaizers were doing. They were not only comparing people to what they weren't doing, they were comparing people to themselves as you should live like I do. 
Shame on you for doing that. How could you think that was okay? Do you not see what I'm doing? That is not the heart of a family and brotherhood. That is not the heart of serving and loving one another. Carry your own load. There's a contradiction. Paul just told us in verse 2, verse 1, to carry each other's burdens. This says to carry your own load. There's a difference between burdens and load. The burdens in verse 1 and 2 I just talked about was someone falls into a sin and we've made a mistake so big, I don't know how to get out of this. I have messed up. I have, I have like nuked my entire life by this choice I just made. I have no way out of this alone. And yet we expect people to do it on their own. You made the mess, you clean it up. Does that sound like a tender mother? There's a value in teaching our children to clean up their own mess, but most of the time I'd get on the floor and clean up with them. I would model how you show what you want done. There wasn't shaming. There wasn't anger. There wasn't disapproval. You helped clean up the mess. Not because you had to, because there's value in restoring somebody gently. The load that Paul's talking about here is that individual personal responsibility we have in our walk with God. We do have responsibilities in our life to stay on the straight and narrow, to walk with God in the spirit. We do have a responsibility for our own growth and recognition in our life. The load that we need to carry as individuals is our spiritual connection with Christ. And recognizing if we're varying off that path, if we're getting away from the Spirit, we need to course correct ourselves. We can't always depend on the GPS of a mentor. We can't always depend on the voice from the box telling us, oh, you're off course. Those are valuable in our life. But as Christians who are maturing in Christ, get your own business together. Do you see the polarity here that makes this so difficult that Paul's asking us to do? What is an example of what this looks like? How do you catch somebody in a transgression and then restore them? How do you point out a truth and still be in partnership with them? Well, Paul did it in Galatians. Remember when he confronted Peter? Peter withdrew his fellowship from the Gentiles when the Judaizers were around and caused a big turmoil. So Peter called him out, Paul called him out on it. Said, shame on you, you can't do that. And yet they still locked arms in fellowship to move forward. And Peter behaved differently moving forward because of that. I'm telling you, this idea of having to carry our own load and be responsible for ourselves can be so overcoming because we're just, we're broken people ourselves. How do we find space to also help restore others? Because we can't do it. And this is Paul's point all along. Live by the Spirit. Live by the Spirit. Through the cross, through Christ, through Him, all things are possible. Not in me. I can barely hold my own life together. You want me to help somebody else put their life back together? Wow. That's got to be of God. Because I guarantee you, I can't even fix my own life at times. It's like pulling over on the side of the road and trying to help somebody fix a flat tire if you've never changed a flat tire. The owner manual will only tell you so much. <laughs> because it probably happens in the middle of a pouring down rain on 405 with a, mar- with a median that's only about this wide. 
And no, the cars don't get over the left lane to pass you. They just zoom right on by you. While we help others, we ought not to think of ourselves more important. Before we can help others with their business, we must be sure we're minding our own business. It does not mean that we have to have it all together. No, it just goes back to humility and gentleness. One of my favorite authors is Brennan Manning. If you haven't read anything by Brennan Manning, he's amazing. He wrote this. As we come to grips with our own selfishness and stupidity, (laughs) we make friends with the imposter and accept that we are impoverished and broken and realize that if we were not, we would be God. The art of gentleness towards ourselves leads to being gentle with others and is a natural prerequisite for our presence to God in prayer. Let's get to our second point today. I spent a lot of time on point one. Galatians 6, 7 through 10. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Our second truth for today that was true then, that is true for today, you reap what you sow, so continue to do good. You reap what you sow, so continue to do good. You see, I played on words right there in the middle of that. I I sat up late at night trying to figure that out. Paul takes two common analogies, one from the ministry of Jesus, the sower. Jesus was always talking about sowing and planting. And Paul pulls that together with one of his favorite analogies is don't give up. Keep running the race. And he puts them together. And he says a man reaps what he sows. That's one of the most famous proverbs. We all know that. We've said it before. All right? And we either sow from the flesh or we sow from the spirit. And both are done to either please the spirit or please the flesh. You have a choice to make which one you're doing. So Paul is trying to bring clarity to these confused Christians that have been told you need to live by the Spirit, but you must do all these fleshly things in the Spirit, like circumcision, obeying the Sabbath, eating right, going to the... So what is it? Is it all these things we have to do to be right with God, or is it just we're right with God because of what he did? And Paul is saying once and for all, it's by what God did to live in the Spirit. And if the Spirit tells you to do something different in your life, then you do it. But you don't do it simply because you think it's going to garner you privilege, all right, with God. Because we can do nothing to get that. So it asks us to re-examine our own lives is what am I doing that thinks I'm earning privilege with God because I do these things? Or am I doing them because in the spirit I feel God is asking me to do them? And nobody can answer that question for you. You have to answer that for yourself. He then goes into talking about sowing. If we sow in the flesh, it's going to end up in earthly good deeds, maybe, or earthly whatever. But if we sow in the spirit, it's going to lend an eternal. Because the harvest that we see as believers is an eternal harvest. Yet we get hung up on wanting to see our results right now. We all do, all right? Even in school, you take a test. I want to know what I did. Or maybe you're like me. I don't know how I want to know how I did. 
It's our impatience in the moment that we start looking around at what we're sowing and thinking, it doesn't make any difference. This guy's not even living for God and look at all the things he's got going on. He doesn't have any hardship in his life. Okay, where's he gonna be 60 years from now? Where's she gonna be 60 years from now? So we may not see that which we sow and plant here grow because in eternity is when we see it in the harvest of the eternity. But we don't live with an eternal mindset because we're not naturally spiritually minded. We're earthly minded people trying to live in a spiritual mindset. And that's what Paul keeps telling us is stop trying to do that. And he says, don't think you can fool God. He says, God cannot be mocked. My grandpa used to say, you can fool the fools most of the time, but you can never fool God any of the time. So you can fool some of us some of the time. You can fool all of us all of the time, but you'll never fool God any of the time. If you want to know, am I living and sowing in the flesh or am I living and sowing in the spirit? There's only one way to find out. You go to God and he'll let you know. As you build relationship and you commune with him, he'll let you know. He'll tell you the truth. And then Paul says this, don't grow weary. I know it looks like you're trying to do good. And as you're doing good, you see people fall here. People mess up there. People make mistakes. Doing good is tiresome. I mean, my job would be easy if it wasn't for people in my life. Have you ever felt that way? I am so tired of this. Can we, I'm trying my best here and you all just keep messing things up, especially when you work with kids. How many times have I told you, you know, It's wearisome to do good all the time and not see any results. But I'm telling you, there are results. There are results. And maybe the results you need to be seeing are what's being done in here. See, we start looking out here again. What are my results doing there? And God says, okay, but what is it doing here? Here, not here. And we worry about here more than we do here. And that's living in the flesh. And you can't restore, you can't love others, you can't carry each other's burdens if you're only doing it for this rather than this. That's why Christ did this on the cross. So let's get to our last point here. Galatians 6, 12 through 15. Those who want to impress people, <laughs> I love that, by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of the Christ. Even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about their circumcision, their own boasting. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. My final point, remember the cross and Christ. It's all that matters. Remember the cross and Christ. It all that matters. See, the one, the first one is the one who seeks truth by living in the flesh. The other one is the one who seeks truth living by the flesh, I mean by the spirit. Only by living by the spirit will you be able to fulfill this, that you understand it's all about the cross. What's at stake here is our freedom. For some, what's at stake is still wrestling with how do I come to Christ in freedom. For us as believers, it's how do I live in freedom. 
So the stakes are high. When it's all said and done, are you living as a new creature in Christ or trying to drag the old clothes and the old creature out of the closet and putting on over the new creature? Why would you do that? Live as the new creature in Christ through the spirit for Christ. And it's all done by grace. So if God is doing this in us by grace, we need to do it in others by grace. Ultimately, when it's all said and done, it's an issue of the heart. The reality of life in this new creation has been a theme of the entire letter. We have a new relationship with God and we are no longer slaves. We are now children and free to address him by the spirit that is in us as father. Abba, father. We have a new relationship now because of that with one another. And how we live in that relationship with one another is a direct reflection of how we live in relationship with our Savior. So when Paul starts off chapter 6 with restore those among you who have been caught up in a sin, he's setting the stage for if you can't do that, it's because you're not doing this. And if you're not doing this well and you're living as a slave to the flesh still, you'll never have the freedom in Christ to do something beyond yourself in the spirit of God. Paul says later in one of his verses, he goes, please be kind to me. Don't cause me any more harm. Look at the bruises and marks I'm carrying. I am convinced the longer I walk on this earth as a believer, you're not going to leave this earth without some marks and wounds and scars. Because while it's supposed to be a beautiful, wonderful life that God's given us, it's a battlefield, my friends. And people are going to fall around us either due to their own choices or due to things that happen to them. And how we respond as a body of believers in gentleness and humility, being responsible for ourselves, but carrying the burdens of others will be a test of what we're really sowing. And if we're able to stand before God and see a harvest... My hope is one day when I stand up in heaven that those I love will be there. Not because of what I did, but because of how I cared and loved. Took them to the foot of the cross. And there they met Jesus. Because at the end of it, I'm sorry, the only thing that matters is the cross and Jesus. And I wish, I wish my life was a better reflection of that. But it's God's grace and me continue to live in the spirit and not giving up and having the honor and the burden of trying to help others that we continue to reap a harvest in heaven rather than earth. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. God, you know that we're not perfect people, yet you're asking us to be the vessels to lead people to Christ. 
Lord, may we do that in humility and recognition of who we are. And may we grasp the power of the spirit in our lives to be used despite ourselves, Lord. May we learn the power of gentleness and humility. May we learn to call on you, Father. May we not become arrogant in our ways that we can't see our own faults so that we can help others address theirs. I thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done. May you continue to lead us in your name. Amen.